Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This week, I chat with the brilliant comedian, writer, presenter, and now actress, Catherine Ryan. Now, I've been a huge fan of Catherine for a long time and her beautifully executed stand-up, her openness. And in this podcast, Catherine talks about the power in using creative outlets like podcasts to explore issues that aren't often spoken about. We talk about a range, and I mean a range of topics. Her episode on pregnancy loss on her own podcast, Telling Everybody Everything, really moved me. And we both connected with each other's story in a way neither of us realised until we recorded this episode. We also chat the GC. Yes, Catherine is a big fan of Gemma Collins, who, in Catherine's words, is the UK version of Mariah Carey. We talk a lot, and if it is possible, I love her even more now. So with all of this to come, it's Cast Away with Catherine Ryan. Catherine Ryan, welcome to Cast Away. Thanks for having me on, Laura. How are you doing? Where are you now? I mean, I'm in my office. I have a teeny little office at the top of the house, and I'm sat on the floor so that I don't make any squishy noises. I don't mind a little bit of a squish noise every now and then. I'll take that. Do you know what? I have people as guests on my podcast, and by people, I mean my 10-year-old. <laughs> and you wouldn't believe the amount of noise someone can make just sitting down on a, on a sofa, so I'm on the floor for you. Well, I have a man in his 30s, and you wouldn't believe the sounds that come out of him sometimes. That's another yeah. story. That's another yeah. um, We are here to talk about podcasts and I know you are a huge fan anyway and I, I, I love recommendations because sometimes I'm surprised, sometimes I'm not surprised but I have a great <sighs> list that we're going to go through, we're going to talk through. Some great ones in there actually. Some I've listened to before, some I haven't but before I get into them I want to talk about your podcast and I want to talk about when's the first time you knew what a podcast was or listened to it? I mean, I think about 10 years ago, there were some rumblings of podcasts or maybe eight years ago. And I thought, no, 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 this will never be a thing. I wouldn't listen to podcasts. I wouldn't be a guest. I thought it was an an odd single white male American thing. Mm -hmm. And it was in the beginning. And then it seems like they're so popular and people are moving around. It's nice to have a familiar voice or a conversation in your earbuds on the train. And it wasn't really until I went on tour my tour manager, Annie, and I, we needed podcasts because we just ran out of things to say to each other. And there was, you know, you move beyond music and then it's quite nice to have a selection of podcasts. I think when you're 100% right, when podcasts first came out, there was one specific voice because probably one specific person was able to afford the equipment. But now pretty much most people, if you have a smartphone, you can nearly record your own podcast, but it's diversified. There's more voices there. There's more stories to be told. And that's not always a good thing. <laughs> I know sometimes you don't need to share that story. That's too much. Um, yeah. As a comedian, I feel it's the perfect outlet as well. As a, you're a natural storyteller, you get up on stage and you tell your story, and especially in the long form, you need an hour to tell your story. For me, I spend a lot of time interviewing people where you'd get 10 minutes with them back in MTV days or if they're doing a bit of promo. How nice is it having that space to tell your story? 
Well, I don't, um, I don't do that much long form when I'm doing a tour and it's just an hour. I always have a support act because some comedians do an hour and a half, two hours. I don't think I could, I don't think anyone wants to hear me speak for that long. And on my podcast that I just started, I only do 30 minutes because I just think that's all the time that people have. And sometimes I'm at 26 minutes and I'm kind of struggling. I'm like, Oh, it feels indulgent. Doesn't it? Mm -hmm. To be like, I am just going to do a monologue stream of consciousness However, when I do listen to other ones, I put it on while I'm doing something else. And some of the podcasts I like are nearly two hours. And it's just lovely to hear someone natter on. I guess it depends as well, guest-wise. I know your podcast, it is you having a chat. You do call up people. Do you have people in your household wander in? But a lot of the time, it's just you speaking from the heart. Yeah, for exactly 30 minutes and no more. And no and no more. Why did you decide to do this new podcast during isolation? Well, I was thinking about it for a little while and I am starting to write a book this year and all of these things can still be achieved in lockdown. And I thought, well, why put it off any longer? I'll just do it now. And I've sort of had my fill of producers. I just wrapped a Netflix series called The Duchess that's coming out later this year. And when you do a sitcom like that, you have so many voices, so many producers, so many notes. Mm-hmm. They, they have these like really hurtful criticisms that are called notes. And it'll just be... And they know, say notes, notes. It's just a little note. It's a criticism. Yeah. Just a note. Could your character be a lot more likable and less of a terrible bitch? Just a note. We don't understand why that man is interested in your character. Like, what does he see in her? Just a note. Um So for the podcast, it really is something that you can do all yourself. So I just sit here in the little office and that's why I decided to start it now to get some ideas out for the book, to speak in a way that is different because it's without punchlines. Some of the things I talk about on the podcast aren't suitable for the Apollo. Um, So it's called Catherine's Telling Everybody Everything. And you've always been an open book. I know with, with your shows, there's always an element of dramatization and glamour, but you've always been very honest talking about yourself. Have you always been like that? Have you you ever been cautious about what you put out? I'm definitely more cautious now than I was because when you start stand-up, no one's listening to you. You're just speaking in the basement of Weatherspoons and nobody cares. And I really got burned by that a few times. I would speak too honestly about some of the other moms on the school run or just some of my general enemies. And I would use their names. I didn't even change the names of children sometimes. And then all of a sudden my career changed and people were listening to me or I'd be on the radio and I'd think, oh gosh, okay, so you have to find a way to be honest, to tell a central truth, but decorate it with loads of little lies so that you're not actually leaving someone vulnerable to be identified in your stories. So, I mean, I'm a lot better at holding back now than I was. With this one, and actually, you know, I did a podcast last week with Jordan Stevens, and he asked me a question, which no one else had asked me before, about the podcasts that I've listened to that have really affected me um, and really made me think and really important to me. And one is actually one of your own podcasts. And you did a podcast, you don't mind me talking about, it was one of the, I think it was, it was the, one of the first ones you did with this new one called Pregnancy Loss. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, oh, what's what's this going to be, this bit of stand-up that I'm going to listen to? And yeah. uh, it wasn't. And it was a very raw, honest piece that you talked. And I know it helped me with my own personal journey and sharing those stories. And I think that's what the podcast community is. It's, it's sharing those stories that we all connect with because we're all people. We all go through the same shit. 
It is. There's this intimacy when someone's right in your ear that, and your story helped me a lot, by the way. I know that you wrote about pregnancy loss and it helps so much. I know it can be a very lonely experience and it's shrouded in all this embarrassment. I felt embarrassed and shameful. Mm. Not that I had the loss, but I felt embarrassed for getting excited before the loss. I felt all these things and I, I looked for stories and I really couldn't find many of them. I think it needs to be on the curriculum. I think girls need to know that you can have this like secret silent miscarriage. And I mean, cause I'm 36. I thought I was very well versed on women's issues. Mm-hmm. I genuinely didn't know that a miscarriage could happen in this way. So I think the more women who tell their stories, uh, you know, about this, but about so many issues and the intimacy of doing that through a podcast, um, it was important for me to share that. I think even if it helps just one person, because you did really help me a lot. It's crazy you said that because I've never told you this, but I remember in my situation about two years ago when we went for our scan, it was supposed to be the first proper scan. um, Mm. And it was actually that night I was going to see your show, The Glitter Room. And I remember we had gone, myself and my other half, and we had gone to go for the scan and there was no heartbeat. And I think as well where we were, obviously the doctors happened so much that they're quite used to it because I didn't, Mm. I didn't realize the figures until afterwards. So I didn't know how I was supposed to react. Was I supposed to be upset? Was I supposed to be, oh, okay, and move on. And I remember being all over the place. And I remember Ian saying to me, should we just go home? And I said, I can't, I don't, I can't go home. I want to go, I want to go to the show. I want to have a little bit of escapism for an hour and I want to laugh and I want to watch a show and then I want to deal with it. And it's, everyone reacts differently. And I remember I just was like, I'm going to have a glass of wine because I haven't drank in 12 weeks. And um, we went to your show and I I didn't know that you had experienced um, what you experienced recently. And I was just listening to that podcast and it was because I just remember going to see your show. And for me, that was so important that I got to see your show and I had a little bit of escapism that night. How weird is that? I get, when and I then, listen to your podcast, honestly, it, I had the hair standing up in my arms. And then isn't it weird too, right after we found that we lost the heartbeat, not that evening, but two evenings later or something, I saw you at the Enemy Awards backstage mm. and I was like, oh, I want to talk to you about something later that you wrote about. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah. And then obviously you had a lot of stuff going on that night, you know, hosting the show and everything that did happen that night. But I didn't realize until I listened to your podcast that what you were going through at that time. Isn't it weird? And this is it. We just move around and we keep going to work and we keep disconnecting. And yeah. not just you and I, but it's all the different women just walking around. That's what really hit me. The collective grief of the number of women who go back to their jobs and they do feel that shame and even in your podcast you do speak about having to do the enemy awards and you know when you when you lose a baby you don't just lose a baby and the next day you go back to normality I had a missed miscarriage is what they call it which means that your body doesn't realize so you're still carrying that fetus around and I did the MTV awards the following week so I'm there smiling interviewing people but all this other stuff's going on behind my head. And you probably, every I, I talked to Katie Brand about this, actually, because she wrote, it wrote in her book, I Carried a Watermelon, talking about dirty dancing, when she suffered a miscarriage and she was on stage doing a show. And people don't know, as a woman, the stuff, the secrets that people have been carried around because they're afraid to share them. It's You feel like a walking tomb is how I felt. It, it took me a month to sort that out. Mm. I mean, to get it out. It's crazy. And they don't teach us this in school. I mean, Irish school. I don't know what they teach you. Probably absolutely nothing, but... Ah, Catherine, I got taught sex education by a nun in a convent. So you can imagine how that went. 
Exactly. Another thing that I connected uh, to you with uh, by listening to your podcast was your father. When you call up your father, and he just reminds me as a you know strong Irish man, uh, and he starts talking about this film called Into the West, which you've never yeah. watched. It was one of my favorite films growing up. <laughs> what is it? Oh my gosh! I'll tell him because I mean, every time I speak to my dad, he's like, "Have you seen Into the West?" I just can't bring myself to watch it yet, but I'm glad it touched you. <laughs> it did big time. With your podcast now, is this something that you foresee doing? just within the time frame of isolation? Is it something that you want to continue afterwards? I want to continue it. There's something about isolation entertainment uh, that I, I just can't deal with it. They're like, oh, we're going to do lockdown laughs and we're going to do this. We're gonna... I don't want to be confronted with this issue relentlessly 24 mm-hmm. seven. I like watching the regular shows that I watch. I don't need Corona content all the mm-hmm. time. I think that's another thing I like how much news I watched because I was watching the news every day initially because I wanted to know what was going on in the country. And then I did find it quite hard because it is all about COVID-19 and it is negative. And sometimes with podcasts, I listen to the serious ones and I listen to a little bit of escapism, which brings me on to some of your podcasts. I'm going to talk about this one first because this is one we did mention once before in the show a few weeks ago and I'd never heard of it before. And it's Missing Richard Simmons. I think it was Jamie Lang because he was obsessed with Richard Simmons. And I was like, who's Richard Simmons? And then, like anything, as soon as someone gives me a recommendation, I go down the rabbit hole and I start watching and listening and finding out everything. How did you hear about this? And did you know who Richard Simmons was before the podcast? Isn't that funny? Of course I knew Richard Simmons. He's an institution of American and therefore Canadian television. He's like a a smaller, more camp, Ginger Joe Wicks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Same that's a really good way of describing him. Yeah. Same hair. He was all across television. He had workout VHS tapes and my mm-hmm. mother would do them. One was called Sweatin' to the Oldies. And it's, he was like a Jane Fonda. I mean, like a Davina, you know, mm-hmm. the workout DVD. And my mom would do those workouts. And I just loved that this was exercise but he was an incredibly funny man. And I just got so much value from it always. He's an institution of television. So he was everywhere. And, you know, you'd see him pop up. And I, I remember Googling him and then realizing I'd seen him in films and he pop up everywhere. And then suddenly, Catherine, he's just disappeared. Right. And I needed to get to the bottom of this. I love a crime podcast. Unfortunately, a lot of those podcasts are to do with uh, people murdering women. I just got tired of dead dead women. And then I, I found one that had all the intrigue of a murder mystery podcast, but it was about this childhood icon who just went away one day. And it's, you know, did he decide to recede from the media? Is he being held captive by his maid? Is he in a cult? Where is Richard Simmons? Because he was absolutely everywhere and then no one ever saw him again. What do you think happened to him? I think that fame is a mental illness. I think that sometimes you can be so overexposed as he was, especially back then. Mm -hmm. There were only three channels. So not very many people were on television. It's like in this country, if you were in EastEnders or Coronation Street early on, then you are famous. Mm -hmm. He was infamous. Mm -hmm. And I think it just, he reached an age, I think it probably just got the best of him. And he decided, 
I just want to go away for a while. I mean, that's the boring truth of it. I don't think he's being held hostage by his maid, though that is the interesting theory. Mm. Because they used to drive, you know, those Hollywood tour buses that they have in Los Angeles. They would always drive past his house. And he was so connected with people because he lost uh, probably 300 pounds himself. He had his own weight loss journey. He would very intimately connect with other Americans on their weight loss journeys. He'd come out and kiss them and hug them. He was very hands-on. So when the Hollywood tour bus would pass Richard Simmons' home, he would see it out the window and he would run outside and start greeting everyone on the bus. This was a daily occurrence. And then all of that just stopped one day. They'd drive past his house and he wouldn't come outside. So, I mean, it's all very strange. You can imagine, though, every day that would get a little bit too much. I mean... Wow. I'm Dan Taberski. Three years ago to the day, Richard Simmons completely and inexplicably stopped being Richard Simmons. And I want to find out why. He may never talk to me. He may sue me or publicly excoriate me. But honestly, I'm good with all that except for the suing part. Why am I doing this? Because that year I got to know Richard made me even more fascinated than I was when I first proposed that documentary. I think he's important so much more so than his goofball public persona lets on. And also, because a lot of people who know him and whose lives have been changed by him, they're worried or angry or full of grief. Some want to save him. Some just want to know he's okay. So over the course of this series, I'm looking for Richard. I'm reaching out in any way I can and exploring every theory. The goal isn't to drag him back. It's to find out why someone like him would ditch the world. This is Missing Richard Simmons. I don't know if you can hear, my little dog is barking at the door. Um, I have locked him out of the office as I record this. Uh, but I know you're you're a dog person as well, Catherine. Yeah, I have four dogs and one of them could not be in the room during a podcast. She just constantly snorts like a little piglet. She has too much of a smushed face. You know, Mick has a little snout. He's cool. He has a little nose. But my dog has a fully flat shovel face and she can't breathe. (laughs) How is it being at home with them all the time during lockdown? Well, I think dogs might be responsible for coronavirus because... They are certainly benefiting more than any other species. They've got mm-hmm. their owners home playing with them all day. They're going on walks. They, they're having a great time. And I feel very sad for anyone who hasn't got a dog because it's impossible to get one now. And they do bring you a lot of, you know, cuddles and joy when you're not allowed to see or touch anyone else. Yeah, lots of cuddles. And also just gets you up in the morning sometimes. I'd probably be having lions if it wasn't for the dog and having to bring him for a walk so he doesn't, you know, shit in the house and so forth. Um, I want to talk about podcasts, speaking about dogs, Walking the Dog with Emily Dean. And I know you've been on this podcast as well. Actually, I was asked about doing this podcast, but I couldn't do it at the time and now because of obvious reasons. But I love the idea of this because it it is what it is. It's walking the dog. Yeah. So Emily Dean is such a talented raconteur, author, a really glam, amazing woman whose house is really the inspiration behind my show Glitter Room. Um, Emily and I met at Jimmy Carr's house. We had crossed paths a few times. We sort of run in the same friendship circles, but I was at Jimmy's and one day Emily came up to me and she said, hi, I'm Emily Dean and I think we should be friends. And you don't make many adult friends that way in your life, or at least I don't. I was on the podcast walking the dog and we just hit it off really. And Megan, my littlest dog, 
inspired Emily to get Raymond and Megan and Raymond are brother and sister. Oh, it's yeah. quite a connection. I love that. I know. So we have our little Shih Tzus and she's just so, so brilliant. And her podcast is walking with different personalities and their dogs and chatting about life. Uh, walking the Dog is from the Times and there's been such an eclectic mix of people uh, on the show. I love it because I feel when I'm listening to it that I'm walking the dog too because you have the sounds of being outside and the, you know, the grass underneath or the ground underneath the feet as they're walking. And it's, I just love that kind of feeling of being part of something. Yeah, it really feels like you're along on the walk, just being quite quiet. And then it's, you know, there's not often an interview where Jimmy Carr has to stop answering a question to pick up. (laughs) Dog shit. I I think it was Martin and Shirley Kemp did an episode at the very start of the episode. I don't know if your dogs do this, but my dog loves rolling around in fox poo. Yeah. Because my dog is quite a small dog and I think it must be the scent makes him feel like a bigger man. I don't know. But as soon as he's clean and I put the nice smelly shampoo on and he's smelling all girly and lovely, straight into the fox poo. And I love seeing that. Oh, I'm like, oh, all these people like Martin Kemp have to deal with this stuff too. They're all rolling in it. I think it's the terrier in him because my terrier does it too. They're trying to cover up their scent so they can go on the hunt. The great thing about being a dog owner is you stop caring. Look at this. You stop caring. Look at this. I know. Oh, my God. So do you have to bath him every time? He looks like something out of Doctor Who. Oh, my God. This week on Walking the Dog, I went for a stroll in London's Kenwood with one of Pop's most enduring and successful partnerships, Martin Kemp and Shirley Kemp, and their toy poodle Pops. I'm not sure these two need any sort of introduction. It's Martin and Shirley, for heaven's sake. But just to give you a quick reminder, they met 40 years ago when Martin was the handsome bass player in Spandau Ballet and Shirley was the glam blonde singer in Wham! Martin went on to become a hugely successful actor, starring in The Craze and EastEnders, while Shirley became a devoted mum to their kids Roman and Harley. And now for the first time ever, they've decided to perform together. They've released an album called In the Swing of It, And it was fascinating chatting to them both about how they first met all those years ago. They told me about George Michael coming on their first date, the really tough time they went through when Martin discovered two brain tumours, and why they're both fanatical dog people. How do you walk four dogs? I mean, with great difficulty. A lot of my dogs will not walk for long. Um, They'll just walk for a bit. And then you have to pick them up. They tangle their leads together. But I mean, we usually keep them on the lead and you just hold both of your hands as far apart with two on each hand. Mm -hmm. And then when you get to the clearing, we let them off the lead and they're really well behaved. They just, they stick together and they don't run away. Having four dogs is kind of just like having two dogs. Once you've got two, you might as well have four. They stick together. They're pack animals, right? What are their names? Megan, Manny, Dolly, and Cardi Wee. Cardi Wee, strong. Yeah. Uh, do you um, ever regret coming up a Cardi Wee when you're in the park? So basically Mick, when he's in the park and he's, if I've let him off the lead, there's a certain part where you can let him off the lead and he's running in the distance and I shout, Mick! I always get like three old men turn around and look at me. And I'm like, no, the dog's called Mick. Do you have to do the same thing with Cardi Wee? That's so funny. The old, you're going to give heart attacks in the park. These old men are probably <laughs> already looking at you. Yeah, well, we call her Cardi in the park. Or people always ask the dog's name, you know. Yeah. And I just say, oh, it's Cardi, like a cardigan, because we live in quite a retirement pensioner age neighborhood now. We've moved out to Hertfordshire and they don't know who Cardi B is. They don't know the hip hop reference. So I have to say, oh, it's Cardi, like a cardigan. But Dolly, 
gives <laughs> us the most trouble, actually, because she's a Tibetan Spaniel. She's called Dalai, like the Dalai Lama. But in this country, oh. you don't say Dalai Lama, you say Dalai yeah. Lama. Would yeah, say, I was thinking Dolly Parton, to be honest. And I say it with an accent. I have to be like, her name is Dolly. And they're like, <laughs> oh. And the same with my husband. My husband's called like Bobby. But when I say Bobby, people spell it like the Barbie doll. This accent thing, I mean, it's killing me. Well, let's talk about that because we're both people who aren't from this country. We both moved to another country to work. And uh, I had that when I first started my career at MTV. There was loads of things I'd say. And I I could just see people just confused. Uh, My one thing was um, the letter or. So I'd say my friend works in PR instead of PR. Nah. And I was like, my friend works in Pure. And they're like, what is this Pure company? All, all of Laura's friends work in Pure? What is this Pure? And I'm like, no, no, PR. And then I remember once we were doing um, a news story on the Or Kelly court case. Oh, and no. then And then one day my producer was like, oh, that's what you're saying. So I'm assuming you probably came up with that, did you, when you first came to the UK? Do you know, I think British people understand my accent a lot better than they understand a Republic of Ireland accent, Mm -hmm. which boggles my mind. I mean, it's so near. The fact that they can't spell any of your names, they don't know how to pronounce like Roisin. You're Mm -hmm. just neighbors. Like, how do they not get it? But because they watch Friends, they understand the North American accent. Yeah, the Americanization of television. That's it. Although Father Ted, I feel Father Ted put the Irish accent on the map to some degree as well. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, I want to talk about another podcast because when you were saying that pronouncing things differently and the Dalai and Dolly, I was listening to a podcast, the Gemma Collins podcast, in fact, and she was talking about well, now I realize a snail, but for ages she was talking about a snail. And I was like, what is she saying? I was like, some animal. I was like, there's this animal that sleeps for three years. And then I Googled and I realized, oh, it was actually a snail. But I I started listening to the Gemma Collins podcast since you put it on your list, because I'm going to be honest, I love a bit of Gemma Collins. I love a bit of GC. I think she's great. I once had a flight to Australia with her, which was a very long Ooh. time. Um, we weren't supposed to be sitting beside each other. I was working on I'm a Celeb and she was a contestant and something happened. So I was on the same flight as her. So I was not really supposed to be talking to her, but it's very hard not to when you're beside someone in 14 hour flights. And um, I listened to her podcast. I'm into it, Catherine. I like it. Good. Was she being a diva on the flight? Yeah, but I I loved it. This is what I want from an entertainer. Exactly. I think Gemma Collins is a gift. She is the UK's version of Mariah Carey. I I don't want an entertainer who's just kind to everyone and balanced. 
I really love the diva meltdowns. I love the extra-ness of Gemma Collins. And then when you listen to the podcast, first of all, it's 30 minutes. That is something I listen to every Wednesday on the school run, back when I was doing the school run. It was a perfect amount of time. And she talks about nature. She talks about the spirit world. She's got some very layered beliefs, and I love it. One of my favorite uh, episodes was the one titled, Where Do the Pigeons Think We're Gone? (laughs) Such a valid question raised by the GC. Where do they think we're gone? Yeah, the pigeons must be terribly confused. We've abandoned them all. See, she has some real existential thought process, but then the sort of blonde... Jessica Simpson element too, where she asks a lot of maybe stupid questions, but for some reason it doesn't seem, it doesn't seem silly. She's hunting ghosts. She's shouting at her assistant. I mean, it's everything that I want from an entertainer. I was hosting the TV Choice Awards last year and Gemma Collins didn't even show up. And that is a true true entertainer. She's just too good to even show up. We just need a few of them, a handful in life. Yeah. Otherwise the world wouldn't function. Exactly. What about you as uh, the stand-up side of things? Because I know you do so many things and you host TV shows, but your your bread and butter, what people know you for at the core of it is you do live stand-up. You're on stage. You have that audience. And I think the one thing that's going to be affected is mass gatherings. It's going to be a while before you can have that many people in a room. And I go back to when I saw you uh, in the West End and do your big show and and you can watch a performer and know someone who just lights up when they're, in, they're on stage. They're made to do that. Are you missing that element in your life? Yeah, because I'm watching a lot of my peers cancel their tours and reschedule them and then reschedule them for even further down the line and reschedule them again for even further. So I definitely worry about that. I'm supposed to be doing a tour uh, of the UK and Australia, and I was meant already to have been going over to America for the Netflix festival. That's rescheduled. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very worried about that. And I refuse to do any of this online stand-up. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing a few gigs pop up. People are doing Instagram Lives and Zooms and things for charity. I think it's wonderful. Good for them, not for me. I think as well, well, from, from what I've seen of you live as well, like you are brilliant with an audience. You're quick, you're smart, you're funny. And uh, I, I remember, I think last time I saw you, one time I said I saw you at the Enemy Awards and that's when you came into your own because obviously I know it was well documented with slow tie and stuff like that. But you're so quick, you're too quick for people and people don't realise that. Like when you go up and do a show, yes, you have a performance. Yes, you probably have it scripted to some way, but naturally you buzz off the audience. Oh, well, it was it was really fun. And I think that those are the live elements Mm. of a mass gathering sort of stand up show that are special in the room. I think they seem a lot more sinister when they get plucked out of that experience and written up, you know, by a journalist. It it looks it looks weird in the paper, but in the room. Yeah, I mean, I like hecklers half the time. I like dealing with them in that way. Um, Sort of like a yes and approach whatever mm-hmm. a heckler says to me I don't disagree with them I'm like yes and I do really want your body and you know I take it but then they <laughs> don't know they don't know how to a lot of similar online and social media a lot of times when people say things they don't expect someone to reply no. and that's it it's, it's as soon as you reply back they're like oh oh what do I say now 
That's it. And I, I love the right to reply. I think comedy is a conversation. Mm-hmm. I think it is a two-way conversation. I love social media. I know it can get Larry sometimes. I love live gigs and the magic of it. Even when I'm attending someone else's show, if you're there in the room, you don't know what's going to happen. You're going to see something that you don't see on the Netflix special or you're not going to see at any other gig. I really hope we get to do that again soon. I hope so too. We're now at the moment, I think week six in this lockdown. How has your last week been? How's week six in lockdown been? This is the week that I think a lot of my friends had a bit of a wobble. And Mm -hmm. so did I. I felt fine about things kind of until last weekend. Then I sort of had a day of malaise, just, oh gosh, this is quite a while, isn't it? And I'm just missing restaurants. I just want to go to the pub, Mm. you know, but then you have to feel lucky too. No one that I know is ill. And I I don't think there's ever in the history of the world been something that's affected everybody. With wars and stuff, it's always a certain region. And even in the past with viruses, it's always been a certain region. This is affecting everyone. And that still blows my mind. Even like going on Instagram and seeing, like, I think the day that it was announced Tom Hanks had coronavirus, I was like, oh my God. What is this? This is this is affecting everybody now. If Tom Hanks has one, and it's just bizarre. And yeah, people in their big mansions, people in their small homes, in their flats, every single person is affected by it. This is we're in history now. In fifty years' time, our grandkids will be learning about this, and we will have been part of it. We'll have lived it. Well, I'm excited that Tom Hanks had it because one of the conspiracy theories is that, or perhaps it's true, the vaccine is being developed from his blood. So you and I might soon have Tom Hanks DNA. Oh my God. Can you imagine? Do you think that would give us like a superpower? I met him once actually, and he, uh, we ended up doing, it was, it was for like a job years ago. We did the robot dance together. And I'm like, I didn't think I'd get better than this. If I get his DNA, then that's it. I've lived. Um, so you were filling us in there about your past week. And one of the podcasts now that you've mentioned on your recommendations was How Was Your Week with Julie Klausner. And uh, this is this is old school podcasting. This podcast came out in early 2011. This is old oh, school. Yeah. So she is great. And my good friend, Andrew Johnston, he's a comedian mm-hmm. from Canada. He came to visit me for a while in London and he showed me Julie's podcast. She's the creator of a show called Difficult People on Hulu. She's a longtime writer, comedian. And it was the first time I'd heard a podcast where it is just a woman speaking for ages. And she has so much to say. She just, in her own quirky voice, authentically comments on pop culture. We are interested somehow in all the same things. She did a segment uh, for a while where she just interviewed elderly women in New York for no reason. She found an elderly women have so much to say. They've lived such a life and they weren't allowed a voice for so long. So you speak to them now. They are so eccentric in New York. There was one woman who, uh, she was like, Julie, you, you've got to wear a hat. I'm big on hats. My passion is hats. If you wear a hat, you'll get a better table in a restaurant. You'll get more respect. So you could tell this woman was very rich. She said, what I like to do is I'll buy a hat for a thousand dollars. I'll reimagine it you know, add pom-poms or jewels, whatever. I'll sell it on for $300 because I'm just not comfortable charging $1,000. And Julie was like, wait a minute. So you, you devalue expensive hats and you make a $700 loss on each hat just so people can have hats. And she's like, that's right. That's my business. This was this woman's whole business. 
I love people. And uh, with Julie, I mean, Julie can just talk anyway herself. And a lot of the the conversations and stuff that comes out from her. I mean, she's just, she's brilliant. Um, but you're right. It's the different people. She's such an eclectic mix of people. I mean, there's been everyone from Joan Rivers to John Ronson to the lady with the hats. And yeah. uh, I think that's what I like about podcasts too. It's not necessarily just one particular type of famous person. Yeah. She's just doing whatever suits her fancy that week. I have been rearranging my furniture like it's going to change my life for the better and I know that it's just a form of exercising control over the space that is closing in on me as we all can relate to but I I don't know I've, there's just been like a certain amount of like just buying like five desks at three in the morning like just not not good not good and then say I can return them and then forgetting that Amazon's the worst and I do try to order elsewhere but sometimes they're just the only ones that have five desks at three in the morning and returns are such a nightmare because you have to make up a whole I was going to say song and dance, but it's really more of like like a, a letter set to a sort of dirge melody. Like, I've written a letter to daddy. The table I bought isn't working. Love it. Uh, the final podcast that I want to talk about is Having Funlessness with Jen Kirkman. This is a newer podcast. Tell me about Jen. So I have worked with Jen Kirkman. She's an American stand-up from Boston. She lives in either New York or LA now. She was a writer on The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. She's been on Conan Loads, all these late night things. She has Netflix specials, though you might not know her name. She's not quite the level of like... Amy Schumer or someone that we would know, but she is a real veteran, an old school comic. She is so important to other female comedians. She really lifts us up. When I met her at the Melbourne Comedy Festival, she came to see my show. She's just like the real deal. And I love her style of comedy. It's not, see, I think sometimes American comedians are very like jizz, jizz, jizz in mm -hmm. your face, my cock. Mm -hmm. And she's not that. She has this real laid back style of stand up. And when I watch her Netflix special, um, her two Netflix specials, I can relax, but it's funny. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like really lovely, really perfectly crafted stand up. And then her podcast is again, just this talking. I'll be sorting out a drawer or doing something in my house. And to listen to her voice in the background, Jen Kirkman is just, ha, huh, just a friend you want to have. This is a solo podcast uh, as well. And I, I feel it's similar when you, when I listen to your podcast, and I know sometimes you call up people on it too, but you can just talk. Like it, it's a gift. It's a gift just to be able to talk like that. And, and what I love about Jen as well, there was an episode I was listening to, and I sometimes feel like she has this, this knack for like cultivating conflict, even talking to a microphone by herself. She's having a conversation with herself. Yeah, she is quite provocative and she's not afraid of conflict. She'll say exactly what she thinks and she's not playing the game mm -hmm. of, you know, oh, uh, pick me. I will bend to the patriarchy and say all the things I have to say. 
She doesn't. She has Mm -hmm. strong opinions on a lot of things and I love her for it. My podcast for me is, here's the worst thought I've thought today. I'm going to tell you guys because I think you guys have thought it too, but it can give the sense that that's how I walk around all the time, right? That I'm always like Larry Daviding it up, like this person. And it's like, it's not. It's those fleeting moments that I put in on Instagram story. This person's not wearing a mask or rant on a podcast, but it's not that it's a performance in that it's fake, but it's it's heightened. It's taking everybody's worst anxieties and fears and talking about them and saying I have them too and then performing around that. She also gets a lot of her listeners to to write in for advice. Um, so it always feels quite authentic. And I know in your podcast, you give an email for people to send in stuff. Do you get some mad emails? Do you know, I get great emails. I was worried that it would become just a real... Yeah, a control center for genitals. But no, I get lovely emails. I'm corresponding with a 12-year-old girl on there right now. I don't know how legal that is, but I'm trying to give her age-appropriate advice. And Mm -hmm. I'm trying to tailor my next podcast to have less swearing because it seems there are a lot of teens on the email. I I get mostly um, questions about relationships or feminist issues, but I get a few wild cards there. I think someone just bought a stolen dog. I'm dealing with that on today's podcast. That is a lot to deal with. I feel like you need to be like a counselor, a psychotherapist, like have all these, like when you're hosting a podcast, it's, it's like they come to you for all this advice and you're like, I don't know the answers. Oh yeah. I'm definitely not qualified to give advice, but that's the beauty of a podcast. It's an opinion and you're most definitely qualified to give an opinion. If you could have, if you could call up anyone on your podcast, who would you call up? That you haven't already. You could have their number, someone's number that you don't necessarily have that you'd like. People that I know or just anyone in life? Anyone, anyone. Dead or alive. We can go mad here. Dead or alive. Well... Ooh, I think I'd call Betty White. The whole breadth of her career is so impressive. She's so, so funny. I'm obsessed with Betty White. I'd love to have a chat with her. And I, I, I believe in having a living wake. So Betty White is thankfully with us, but I celebrate her life while she's still on this earth because one day I will wake up and she will have moved into the spirit world. And I, I don't like the way we honor celebrities after they've gone, like mm. do the hashtag now while they can yeah. see it. Twitter is not a window to the afterlife. What are you doing? Celebrate and, you know, give thanks for these people today. Imagine we just like had a living funeral for Betty White and just start doing it on Twitter. They'd be like, what is going on? Like, no, Betty, it's fine. We're celebrating your life when you're alive. I mean, that's when you know it's over. It's like when you receive a lifetime achievement award, you're like, oh, Okay. You're like, is it over now? I, I yeah. remember, oh God, it used to be so weird. Like when I was working at MTV, I used to have to record obituaries before people died as backups. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like big stars where you think, oh, they could pass away, they may not, but we need to have a backup. And I used to have to go into a recording booth and like read all of, and I'd be reading it going, oh, and it'd make me fall in love with them again. And I'm like, oh no, no, they're still alive. It's okay. This is it. Real. Be- people forgive all your transgressions once you've passed. I think we could use some of that forgiveness in life today and some of that recognition. And I give that to Betty White as a morning prayer. 
I um, want to talk again about your podcast because, congratulations, it did go to the top of the iTunes comedy podcast within a week of release. Doing very well. Some lovely reviews there too. You you talk about many things. We've talked about some stuff already. I want to ask you about relationships because we're all self-isolating. You're newly married to your childhood sweetheart. And how is that going? Because when I do Love Island, I remember saying Casa Moore is the ultimate test. It's not. Living with somebody in isolation is the ultimate test. How is it going? He enjoyed this series of Love Island, by the way. He's a big fan of yours. And introducing uh-huh. Bobby to Love Island alone was, I mean, such an experience because he's so Canadian. He doesn't understand any accent. And Love Island has all the regional accents. Yeah. He doesn't understand Ian. He doesn't understand you. He doesn't understand <laughs> any of the contestants. He's watching like a foreign film. So <laughs> I have to put subtitles on for Bobby. And then I tell him all about the times when they would actually have sex under the duvet. Those times mm-hmm. are gone for everyone's protection. But they, yeah, still, they still happen though. Oh my, they still happen. They just don't I, show them. I believe you. Do you remember the girl who thought she had outsmarted the production? And she's like, well, I know what I'll do. This is a different series. She said, I'll just have sex on top of the duvet and then they can't show it. They showed it. Yeah, I remember this because I, yeah, oh, it was like, this was like series two or something. Yeah, it was back a while ago. So she said, if I just have sex above the covers, then they can't show it, but they can still show her face. And And now everyone knows what you're doing. And also all the cameramen had to see that. And everyone else's face, all the other islanders just watching this like pornography in the room. God bless the show. And I'm sorry to hear it's not coming back till 2021, but I do understand. Oh, yeah, I think it's for the best. I think I I think when the Olympics was postponed, it was okay that Love Island was postponed. Yeah, the sexual Olympics. I I love Bobby more and more every day. I really do. And I was super anti Uh, not anti-marriage, just anti-conformity. I hated Mm. the idea that for generations, our ancestors, I do feel a connection to my female ancestors, especially I feel this collective ancestral trauma of women. I don't know if that comes with being like half Irish as Mm -hmm. well or what it is, but we weren't legally people for a really long time. You were your father's property and then you were your husband's property. You weren't allowed to open a bank account. You weren't allowed to have a job. You weren't allowed to carry a passport. You weren't allowed to buy a house. And I felt like I'm the first woman in my family who's done all those things alone. And I mean, that's why I really rejected the idea that you should get married. However, if you choose to get married, I mean, that's Mm -hmm. fine. Luckily I did. I just really love him. It's going great. And I... I I don't know how I dated so many waste men before. Yeah, but it makes you appreciate the good ones, doesn't it? It definitely does. You got to go through it. Life's a journey. But speaking of, you know, what the women have had to go through, I find that I get a lot of like, what what you kind of think that our ancestors had to go through. And and when you speak so openly in your podcast about life, about stuff you've gone through, about miscarriages, I remember thinking, like my grandmother, um, and you know what it's like in Ireland, especially years ago, there was no contraceptive mm. pill. My mother is the youngest of 13 children. Oh. Um, my father's mother had two children. So like, I, I was only afterwards I realized how many miscarriages that she'd had gone through. For sure. And, and not talk about it and not and not have, yeah, not have the, the support that we have now. And it's still difficult now. But can you imagine back then? And just having to get on with it, cook the dinner and get on with it and do what you have to do and raise the kids. 
Well, back then you were certainly risking your life with every mm-hmm. pregnancy. And even when you watch episodes of Who Do You Think You Are, mm-hmm. you they look through old records and they go, oh, so-and-so remarried. Oh yeah, because his wife just died in childbirth and he got a new one the next day because you need a wife to, to raise your family. It's, it's really dark times back then. Mm-hmm. But I think they were very strong. You had to be strong. And also my mother had two miscarriages and they didn't have scans back then. So sometimes I think we have our scans too early. We, we have a heartbeat. We see this embryo develop into a fetus and you think, you know, mm-hmm. you get way more emotionally attached. I think back then, I hate to say it, but after 13 children, you'd be like, well, at least I can't get pregnant for a little while. And a lot probably didn't even realize. I think to this day, there's a lot of women who probably have miscarriages and just think it's a heavy period, like don't realize. Well, that's what I thought it was. That's the education about it. You think, whoops, Mm -hmm. miscarriage. It sounds like you dropped something. But Mm -hmm. with what you and I had, I mean, it wasn't that at all. It was a real thing. Yeah. And again, life throws things at you and you're navigating your way through. But that is... Life, isn't it? And here we are now speaking to each other through technology, not seeing your face, but this is what we, we adapt and we, we, we keep going. We do. What are you most looking forward to doing once you're out of lockdown? I really want to go to dinner. I love restaurants. I, I hate <laughs> washing up. Oh my God, the amount of washing up. I didn't realize because I drink tea all the time and there's <sighs> cups everywhere. And I'm like, I just want to go out and not have to wash up afterwards. Yeah, this is it. The dishwasher's always on. You've ju- you're just making food and then making food again and then going back to the fridge and eating in the cupboard. I think I miss the long walks too. I know we're allowed to walk, but for me, having moved out to the country, I like walking in central London. I like having meetings and going mm-hmm. from one appointment to another appointment, looking in the shops and mm. seeing people. You know, I, I moved to London and, and lived there for 10 years. I, I love that. I miss that. Mm-hmm. Miss restaurants and stand up. I, I, I mean, the first thing I'm going to do is get oh, some Botox and my lips done again. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't, I stopped getting fillers and Botox about a year before filming The Duchess, because mm-hmm. when you're an actress, you have to move your face a lot. And I thought, you know, my whole acting class was, I know what I'll do, Catherine, just stop getting Botox and by magic, you'll be a, ma- a perfect actress. But I mean, now I've got this face that moves around. It's not at all what I wanted. <laughs> uh, tell me about The Duchess. When does that come out? Um, that comes out this year. I don't think they've said exactly when. Wouldn't it be good if it had come out six weeks ago? Everyone would be forced to watch it. But it, but isn't it exciting that you've already filmed it? Because let's be honest, it's going to be a while before they start filming shows again like this. So it must feel relieved that it, it's already done. It's in the edit now. I am relieved about that. Yes. I just hope it doesn't come out when the weather's nice and everyone's off to the pub. It comes out sometime this year. Can't wait to watch it. Tell me, can you tell me really quickly, like what, what roughly a little synopsis? Yes, it is about a provocative, very fashionable, very self-satisfied single mother who lives in North London. She's a really bad person, but she is a good mom. And I think we see a lot of complicated female characters, but they still tell us to be likable Mm -hmm. and they still want to connect with you that way. No, my rejection of that is so strong. Tony Soprano, was he likable? when he was out killing everyone and he was the lead. So this is a lead. She is a woman who's not nice, but she's a good mom. And it sounds like an incredible watch. I look forward to that. Catherine Ryan, thank you so much for speaking to me. Thank you for the recommendations, some great ones. Um, and your podcast, you're still, you're still recording that from home. 
I am every Wednesday. I just did a new one today. Catherine Ryan, thank you so much. So nice to chat to you and lots of love to the family. You too. I'll talk to and you love soon. love the podcast. I'll chat to you soon. Thank okay, you. Bye. bye. And that's it. Another episode down as we delve deep into my guest's audio world. I hope you get cast away by today's top podcast picks. Yeah, I just said that, sorry. All of the podcasts we've mentioned today are included in the episode show notes. Now, if you love this conversation as much as I did, please share your thoughts by leaving a review. And if you'd like to receive weekly installments of Cast Away delivered straight to your phone, hit the subscribe button. Until next time, that's it from me. Take care. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.